Well, let's get into our text this morning. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. I want to read our text this morning. It's real simple, just one verse. We've been, we've been working our way, for those of you visiting today, we've been working our way through Hebrews. It's probably my 10th or 11th sermon on Hebrews. And um, didn't finish my, last, my message last week. So, I decided just to spend one time... One week, one Sunday, just on chapter 2, verse 18. Next week will be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Jesus is better than Moses. But here's this one verse. It's very rich if we think about it. It says, For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I want you to think about life. Sometimes when facing difficulties with life, we turn to others who have traveled the path before us in seeking help. When visiting the Grand Canyon and desiring to go down to the, the bottom of the Grand Canyon, the, the valley floor, we want a guide who has been down there before, a guide who will take us on a donkey. We don't want to discover how to do Grand Canyon by ourselves, do we? Or your car breaks down. And maybe you're new to the area, your car breaks down and you're in need of a good car mechanic. You ask others around you. You say, do you know of a good car mechanic? Because I'm in need of one. I want one who is um, fair and has reasonable rates. You don't just pick a car mechanic from the yellow pages most times. You, you ask around because you need help. When you have money to invest, you turn to a financial planner who can help you invest it wisely. You don't just invest it yourself. You, you get some counsel. You get some advice. You get some help. In the spiritual realm, this is it's true as well, that when we're in, in need or facing difficulties and facing the trials of life, we can often find help from those who have gone through similar trials and circumstances before us. And, and then they can help and be a minister to us. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, we've been brought through a trial. We've found God's grace to be sufficient for us. We've been comforted by His grace. And now on the back end of our affliction, we are ready to turn around and we are equipped then to help others who are going through the same thing. We can diagnose and help them figure out what's going on in their souls, the things that they are dealing with, struggling with, the emotions which come with it, the feelings they're experiencing, and we're able to direct them to the same fountain from which we found help as well. But I want to press this analogy further. When you're on the precipice of the Grand Canyon, you not only want a guide, you want the best guide, don't you? I mean, you want the guide with the greatest knowledge, the best personality, and the greatest storytelling abilities so you can enjoy your time on this donkey down the end of the Grand Canyon. When you look for a good mechanic, you want the best mechanic. The one that's fast, efficient, and cost-effective. Right? Your best deal out there. When you're looking for a financial planner, financial advisor, you want the best. You want the one who understands the markets, ups and downs, and so can get the best return with the least risk. Right? You want the best. Right? Any of you not want the best? Well, so it is spiritually as well. Is that we want the best as well. We're tempted. Listen, think about it. When you're tempted by your sin, don't you want the best help available to you? You do. And the good news is this. When it comes to temptation, we have the best. The best help is Jesus Christ. And He is right there. Verse 18. Ready to help us. 
It says, since he himself was tempted and that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus is our best help in temptation because he experienced it all and yet never yielded to the temptation. Not even once. Jesus knows how to conquer temptation. He knows how to go go through it sinlessly. And He is ready and able to help. As it says here in verse 18, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Are there any of you tempted here this morning? Jesus is able to come to your help. My whole sermon today basically is this. Are you tempted? Look to Jesus. He understands. He can help you. Far better than I can help you. Jesus can. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tested, who's been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. We've got a high priest, as it mentions here in verse, chapter 2, verse 17. He's a merciful high priest. He's a faithful high priest. He's merciful and he'll be compassionate to us. He's faithful and he has accomplished all things obediently. And Jesus can help us through our own temptations because He walked this life sinlessly and He can help us. You know, too often regarding sin, we seek the help of other sinners who are fallen. And it's not wrong, but so often we fall less of what we really need. Think about Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know much about that organization. I know a little bit. But what they do is they they gather all these recovering alcoholics all around together in a circle and they all share their feelings, they share their struggles and all these people are former alcoholics who've who've gone through that problem and have shared and then they, they talk and they share their problems with each other but they've all fallen. And they all may fall again. Then next week they might come back and confess that they found themselves in a drunken stupor last week. Let me ask you, when that group comes together, who in that group can give the most help? Isn't it the one who's been sober the longest? Who has faced the greatest temptation and has overcome it because he has the skill and the ability and the insight and the know-how how to conquer that temptation? Isn't it right? I mean, the, the guy who fell last week isn't the guy to help tomorrow. But the guy who has succeeded last week and succeeded the week before and the week before and the week before and has overcome his addiction and his sin of drunkenness, he's the one that can help. And so likewise with Jesus. He's our best help in time of temptation. He's been tempted in all things as we are. Yet He's never sinned. Jesus knows how to battle temptation. So let's go to the One who's our best help in temptation. That is Jesus, right? And that's my point this morning. He is able to help. It's the title of my message this morning. So go to Him. My message this morning is going to be a little bit different than normal. I mean, normally we... Um, Take a verse and kind of really work through it. But this morning, basically my message is all application. Because the application of verse 18 is that we need to go to Christ when we're tempted. Let none of us here say, I'm being tempted and, and, and there's no, one, no way out and there's no one who's around to sympathize with me and nobody understands my unique struggles. It's impossible for me. It's my fate. I, I just have to give in. Let none of you say that because there's one who is able to come and help you. His name is Christ. So this morning as we take Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, what I want to do is I want to look at the life of Christ. It says here in verse 18 that He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered. I want for us just to take a Gospel writer. We're going to take the, the book of Luke just for ease. 
rather than going around to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We could go to all of them. We're just going to take the book of Luke. We're going to start you know, in chapter 2, because that's where he's born. We don't, can't start in chapter 1, because he wasn't born yet there. But we're going to take a chapter 2, and we're just going to work through. I'm just going to pull out just a few examples of ways in which Christ was tempted, perhaps that you never even really thought about it before. Oftentimes, we just look at the, the Gospels to tell us about Jesus, and wonderful, and that, that's great, and we listen to his teachings. But I want us this morning to look at the Gospel of Luke from the perspective of what kind of temptations did Jesus face? And, and I think you'll be astonished at how broad those are. And I think if you think about maybe one sin that's particularly tempting to you today, or this next week, or, or coming up, whether it's some anxiety, whether it's some fleshly sin, whether it's some relational sin, whatever, you just think about that, and I almost guarantee you that you're going to find something in the life of Jesus that He experienced that same, te- same temptation that you have experienced, or are going to experience, and He is able to help. So, um, I have far more material than we can we can go, and I'm just I'm just only scratching just a little bit of what Luke has. There's much more, but let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter two. And just for the sake of ease, we're just going to go chronologically through Luke. So you're just going to turn your pages forward and forward, and it's not going to be that hard to get there. My first application this morning goes to you children, and particularly some of you teenagers or budding teenagers. Because that's where the book of Luke starts. He's born in chapter 2. And pretty soon he's a teenager. Actually, he's slightly less than a teenager. He's, he's 12 years old. And, and you, you children might be thinking, or you might be tempted to think in future years, you know what, my parents just don't understand me. They don't understand the, the things that I am going through. They don't understand the pressures at school. They, they don't understand the feelings I have. They don't understand uh, the situation in which they've put me in. They, they don't understand. And if, I, if this is you, children, I just say go to Jesus because He understands. Look at verse 41. Now, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when He became 12, okay, how many of you 12-year-olds are here? Jared, are you 12? No, David's 12. Aren't you 12, David? Who else is 12 here? Kendra, are you 12? Yep, you're 12. Hannah, you're 12. Who else is 12? Okay. We have, oh, we have Alicia there. It's 12. Wonderful. 12 years old. They went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they said to him, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Think about that. Jesus had parents who didn't understand him. He was their child. 
He lived with them for 12 years, but they didn't understand Him. They, they didn't understand that He was different than other children. They didn't understand that He had a divine call in His life. They didn't understand that He had a passion for God's Word. If they would have understood that, they would have realized that He was in the temple. And so, young people, if you're ever tempted to think, my parents just don't understand me, I say, you know what? Jesus went through that same temptation, that same struggle. Because there are some temptations there. Your, your temptation is, my parents don't understand me, therefore I'm just going to step out of their role of oversight over me and I'm just going to do my own thing. Isn't that right? When your parents don't understand, you want to do something else. And Jesus certainly had those temptations. See, but God is calling you children to live in subjection to your parents. Family night, last Sunday night, Ted Tripp. Um, every other Sunday night, we've been watching some parenting videos. And Ted Tripp was talking about the, the circle of safety. In that parents, if they have authority over their children, their children are honoring obeying their parents, they're in the safety. But if they get out of that submission, they're in a period of state of danger. And children, you stay in that circle. Honor your parents. Obey your parents. But if you perceive them not understanding, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be tempted to get out of that circle. You say, how did Jesus handle this temptation? Look what it says in the next verse. And He went down with them and came to Nazareth and He continued in subjection to them. He continued in that circle in submission to His parents even though His parents didn't understand Him. So children, when your parents don't understand, you go to Jesus. And I'm sure, just thinking about the, the life of Christ, I'm certainly there's some trying times. Joseph is working with Jesus in the shop. And uh, Jesus didn't quite do things like Joseph wanted him to. And so Joseph lashed out at him and yelled at him and you know, tried to say, no, you do it this way, or became impatient with him somehow. Sons, your fathers have probably been impatient with you. I know SR, I've been impatient with you many times. And uh, I just ask you to... Be patient with me, even though I don't understand you totally. Be patient with me. Continue subjection. That's the way God has worked your life for your blessing. And so also children, it's a way. All right, think about maybe the duties that Jesus... I mean, Jesus was the model servant. Think about when, when Mary told Jesus to do something, help her on the house, it was done. And, and just think about if your children were like that, how easy it would be to stack more and more things. Okay, well, Jesus, help me with the dishes. Help me with the washing. Help, help sweep the front front uh, walkway, tape out the trash. Oh, can you run this errand for me? You know, and he's got all these things because he obedient everything that Mary said to him and he went out and about doing all these things and, you know, maybe even had struggles getting his homework done and he tried it and it's just because his parents didn't understand his limitations, human limitations in some sense and it was a time where it was probably trialed. But Jesus, through it all, continued in subjection to his parents. And I say, children, when you're tempted to get out of that circle of safety, Cry to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm being tempted right now. My parents don't understand me. And He understands exactly what you're going through. He'll be able to help you. Alright, let's continue on in Luke. Luke chapter 4. This is probably the most straightforward passage in all of Luke about the temptations of Christ. Jesus Himself being tempted by the devil Himself. We read in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this dominion, all its glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to them, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. We see here three waves of temptation come across Christ. This is worthy of an entire message in and of itself. I'm intentionally going to go pretty fast over these because I want to get to those sorts of temptations that you might not be thinking about so much when you think about the temptations of Christ. First of all, think about Jesus was tempted in the flesh. He was hungry, having eaten nothing for 40 days. He was starving. Satan came and said, okay, satisfy your flesh. Take this stone, make it into some bread. There's nothing wrong with Jesus having made a stone into a piece of bread any more than it was wrong to make water into wine. But at that moment it was wrong because Satan was touting him. In fact, taunted by the devil. He said, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Listen, there are lots of passions we have. Lots of feelings in the flesh that at the wrong time, that, that in and of themselves are not wrong, but at the wrong time they're sinful, like eating. We all need food. But food is wrong when you eat too much. Therefore, Jesus understands the temptation of gluttony because He understands that passion. The passions for sex are wrong when fulfilled outside of marriage. It's the same. It's a fleshly temptation. Jesus understands the temptation to immorality. Right here, where he understands the pull of the flesh. He experienced these passions. So when, when you feel the pull of the flesh, I say run to Jesus. When you need help to escape the lure of the internet, run to Jesus. When you need help to escape the cigarette, run to Jesus. When you need help to escape the drugs, run to Jesus. When you need help to escape your laziness, run to Jesus. Anything in your flesh that's pulling you one way, just run to Jesus because He knows how to conquer sins of the flesh. As He did here. Jesus also here in the first temptation was also tempted by the tauntings of Satan. If you are the Son of God, Jesus understands all the temptations of gang members. You know, when they're in a gang and there's high peer pressure, understands peer pressure, fraternity members placing upon other people. Right, boys and girls, oh, come on, you can do this. Mom and Dad will never find out. He understands peer pressure. That's basically what he... Are you really the Son of God? He understands the pressures you feel to perform at your religious duties. Maybe coming to church on Sunday mornings. I'm just I am doing my duties. Maybe you feel a great pressure from us all around. It's a church. Oh, I'm going to church. Got to dress my best. Jesus understands the pressures of being taunted. He understands peer pressure. He understands and will come and help you so you do what's right. Well, verses 5 through 8 is another temptation. We see Satan tempting Jesus to have all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would bow down to Satan. Here the temptation is to succeed by cutting corners. It sure would be easier to gain the kingdoms of the world by bowing to Satan than going to the cross, wouldn't it? It absolutely would be. The temptation here is to think that the ends justifies the means. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The ends does not justify the means. 
to bow down to Satan would violate one of the Ten Commandments. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. See, Jesus understands the pressures to succeed or the, the, the temptation to get the easy way out rather than God's way. Maybe you're in a business or maybe you're in a home. And maybe there's that temptation to you know, do something just a little bit over the edge. Just, just infringe copyright just a little bit. Or just, just cheat on this price just a little bit. Or, or fudge, fudge the numbers here. Or with your boy. He understands the temptations to cut corners. So go to Jesus when temptation comes. He's able to help. Third temptation, 9 through 11. It was a dare. He says, I dare you. To show much how much God cares for you. Throw yourself off the temple peak. Surely God will care for you. Here's some scriptures that says He will. And God will be glorified in that great rescue. But Jesus would have nothing of it. He knew that He was not going to presume upon God regardless of how great the answer would be. And we can presume upon God in many ways. We can take out a loan to expand our business beyond what is reasonable. We can date a non-Christian presuming upon God to do a work in her soul. We can take some promises of Scripture far beyond their intended interpretation and thereby test God. Jesus knows about these temptations. He experienced them Himself. And He knows how to overcome them. So you want someone to help you in the time of temptation? Then go to Jesus. He can help you when you're tempted to presume. All right. We've just started. There's lots. And and by the way, we're just looking today at the book of Luke. We're just looking at some of the ways in which Jesus was tempted. And to realize that He's experienced that since He suffered in His temptation, He's able to come to our aid. We could look at Matthew. We could look at Mark. We could look at John. And then, if that's not enough, there are many things that aren't even recorded in any of the Gospels about the life of Christ that He experienced temptations with. That we know nothing about, but we know the end, that He didn't sin. So even if there's something not included in the Gospel accounts, which actually I'd probably doubt it seeing how exhaustive all these temptations are, um, Jesus probably experienced this well. He's able to come to our aid. Well, let's look at the second half of Luke chapter 4. We see Jesus preaching in His hometown. His temptation comes here. He's trying to do the right thing. He says, verse 18, he's preaching. He opens up to the book of Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, sat down, and said in verse 21, Today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. At first, he got a great reception. Jesus knew what it was to have some measure of success. Verse 22, the people were delighted by his words. Is this not Joseph's son? But as Jesus continued, the people were not so thrilled. He told them that no prophet, verse 24, is welcome in his hometown. Provided some Old Testament examples. And when he finally sat down, that first sermon, back in his hometown, look at the reaction. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Have you ever spoken the gospel to someone only to have them turn and get angry with you? You ever done that before? I, I know I have. And, and at that moment, there's a there's a temptation there that you can feel about being self righteous indignation. That why 
why, why did they do it? Maybe there's some frustration in your heart. Maybe there's, there's, des- maybe there's some uh, depression that comes about from being rejected. Maybe there's some fear there. And, and maybe there's an apprehension not to share the gospel again another time because you've been so afflicted this first time. But Jesus knows how to deal with those who are hostile to the truth. He experienced it far more than any of you have. When they tried to throw, as it says in verse 29, throw him over the cliff. In the days of Jesus, when you stoned people, you didn't like set him up there on a, on a flat pedestal and say, okay, we're going to huck these stones at you and go, Ugh, and try to stone someone. What you did, you took him to a cliff, you threw him over, trying to break his leg so he can't run, and then you take your, your stones and you, whoom, then you throw them on somebody. That's how you stoned him. So they're trying to throw him over the cliff, they're trying to kill him. Has anyone ever been that hostile towards you before? Tried to kill you for sharing the gospel with them? Preaching the good news? Release to the captives? Recovery of sight? The blind? Jesus is the Messiah? It's the favorable year of the Lord? Turn, repent, trust Him? Listen, Jesus understood the temptation of, of facing a hostile crowd who could kill Him. I think He understands our, our fears in facing maybe a crowd that lashes back at us or is not so happy with us. See, it's a, Jesus was tempted this far. When we're tempted this far, He's able to come and help because He's been tempted through that and now He's tempted this far to the point of almost being killed. He can come to our aid. So next time even you're, you're tempted not to, not to speak with somebody because you've been rejected before or you fear you're going to be rejected again, just, just say, you know what, Jesus, come help me now. I know you know how this feels. Help me in this temptation to be quiet. Help me to speak like I know you want me to. Go to Jesus. He's going to help you in that. Let's pick another one. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Little red verses in the, the Gospel of Luke, but they have great application for us today. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who had been called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Now, the temptations that Jesus might face here are probably not so obvious. But think about this. Jesus operated a faith ministry. There were people, women particularly, who were contributing to their support out of their own private means. He and His disciples were fully funded by people basically who gave them money to support them in the ministry. In this case, some of His supporters were named. Mary, Joanna, Susanna. And Jesus has experienced the same temptations to anybody else that anyone else faces in such a ministry, right? You minister, you serve to others, and you trust that God will stir their hearts to contribute to the needs of your ministry. My guess is that Jesus knew what it was like to have a little shortfall at the end of the month, to have the the money bag run a little bit dry. Jesus knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to trust God for the next gift that would come in to help them in their ministry. He knew the temptation not to trust God, but to circumvent it some way and find some other means for His support. 
Think about this. I, I think also that the temptations that Christ faced in being involved in the faith ministry can be extended to those of us who have economic hardships. Jesus was dependent upon people giving Him things. Economic hardships. We can go out, we can try to find a job, but ultimately we need to, we need to trust the Lord. Maybe the help that other people provide. When you're out of a job needing a place of provision, Jesus can be your help. When you're underemployed, right? Maybe you're working 20 hours a week only at your job because that's all they can afford in this, this culture. Jesus can be your help. Because lots of temptations can be there. You can say, I, I, we won't trust the Lord. We'll find some other way to, to get our money. and we'll, we'll try to do this. Or Jesus knows what it's like to trust the Lord for all provision. How about chapter 10? How about chapter 10? story of Martha and Mary. Maybe you're familiar with this. I hope you are. Verse 38. Chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? (laughs) Then tell her to help me. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, often we think about this story from the perspective of Mary and Martha, right? Martha's doing all these domestic duties that need to be done. Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, learning. And uh, then we think about, oh, we need to be Mary's, we need not to be Martha's. But I want you to think about this story this morning from the perspective of Jesus. As He's there in the house teaching whatever group of a dozen people, who knows how many, 25, who knows how many it is. But, but Martha's there, just busy doing this, and Jesus is saying like gold coming off His lips. And He's saying things that Martha needs to hear, but Martha is so busy that she's missing it. Do you think that stirs up some temptations in Jesus? I know I've been stirred in my spirit, desiring the best for others to, to maybe come to family night and say, boy, it'd be great if they would come to family night. They could be used by that, but, but they're not. They're busy with the things of the world, so they don't come to that. Or some, some opportunity, some conference we provide, or some marriage conference. About, you know, that was so rich, so awesome last week. And, and there is a, there's a temptation for me and those who didn't take advantage of that great opportunity to say, oh, they, they missed it. They're being Martha. And, and then all the judgmental spirit that can come up in that. Right? So just know that's a temptation. It's a temptation when they're good things. Or you give somebody a book and they don't read it. Or you give them a CD and they don't listen to it. Or, so you just want to help them. And if they don't do that, there can be a, a disappointment there. They neglect a church or a fellowship opportunity. And, and there's, there's a battle in your soul because you want to help people and then it's, they, they turn you away and not interested in it, there's a, a frustration there. Jesus faced it. Jesus knows how to overcome that. Jesus knows how to just continue to serve, just continue to encourage, and continue to help, even for those who miss this opportunity. There will be another opportunity. There will be another opportunity. That's what Jesus did. And then think about this. Martha comes with a complaining spirit. Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to all this serving alone. Tell her to help me. <laughs> Martha, first of all, made a bad choice and then she's coming complaining to Jesus about it. Now, any of you ever face complaining people in your life? 
And isn't there within you some kind of temptation to look badly upon them or to you know, turn them away or to turn sour in your heart towards them? Isn't there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, Jesus experienced the temptation. There's a temptation to lash out upon them. Experience. You know, there's a temptation to just confront them or, or push them off. Jesus then instead takes Martha, confronts her with an error, error softly and gently without a twinge of sin in Him. So if you've got complainers all around you, you need to respond rightly. Look to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, you know what? There's this person in my life who's always complaining. And I know that you faced Martha. She was complaining and helped me the grace needed to deal with her as you would want me to. He's able to come to our help. He's experienced the same thing. All right, let's keep going. Chapter 11. Verse 14. He was casting out a demon and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, to test Him, were demanding a sign from heaven. Now, there are various ways in which Christ has suffered here. First of all, He's called a name. He's called a, a demon, really. Maybe He's called Beelzebul Himself, the prince of the demons. Maybe He's called Satan Himself. But why, at, least, at least one who's on that side. And He was called a, a bad name. And, and, and you can't get worse than that. I mean, if somebody calls you an airhead, there's probably reason to that. You know, we had Thanksgiving at the Reed's house the other day. And um, we, we drive up to their home and we're walking up the steps and we went, Oh! We forgot the chairs that we were supposed to bring that we'd promised them, we told them we'd bring. And then the next step, I went, Oh! I forgot the hymnals because we are going to have a time of singing there. And just as we're up, we're, we're both walking. We're up. We are, we're getting old, Avon. We're forgetting these things. We, if, if the Reeds then would call us airheads, you know what? Total justification in that. And it, it would be hard. Thank you for not calling us airheads. We appreciate that when we came to your home. But totally hard. But not as hard as total untruths. I mean, here was perfect Son of God being identified with Beelzebub. This is as bad as it gets. It is light being called total darkness. This is even what you might call slander, what you might even call blaspheme. And again, think about it. Jesus was called the worst name that He could be called. So if you're called an airhead or anything less, Jesus knows what a small temptation is if He's been tempted by being called such a large name. So when someone calls your name or expresses some hatred towards you or identifies you in some way with a, a different cause, you know what, Jesus, help me. I, I need help in this time. Because what's your temptation? It's to lash out, right? And to, to fight against Him and to set the story straight. Jesus experienced the temptation to rage. He experienced the temptation to retaliate. He can come to our aid and help. And what He did was He calmly instructed them and told them of the errors of their ways. On top of that, look at how Jesus was tempted. As it says here in verse 16, others to test Him, that is, others to tempt Him, demanding a sign from heaven. He'd already done a miraculous sign, casting a demon out of a mute man, so that this mute man who didn't speak now spoke, and they demanded another sign from Him. In fact, that was the intent was to tempt Him. Have you ever been tempted by people who are demanding and demanding and demanding? It doesn't matter what you do, they want more. That's what Jesus was faced right here. 
or they want a sign from heaven. He's just given them a great sign. Right? Or, or people who you're sharing the gospel with, they want more proof. They want more proof. They want more proof. Anything you say that they kind of cast aside, cast, give me more proof. Give me more proof. Give me more proof. Jesus dealt with those kind of people. He can help in time of need. Alright, well, we're going to skip a few here. Let's go to chapter 17. Here's a good one, especially appropriate this Thanksgiving weekend. Beginning in verse 11. Luke 17:11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When we saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. He was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten who were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? He said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Have you ever dealt with unthankful people? Jesus dealt with unthankful people. Have you ever felt the temptation to lash out at those who didn't express their thanks? Right? Maybe you give a gift to a friend and they never returned your gift with a word of thanks or a note of thanks at all? Maybe you've given gifts to your children. They've never expressed any gratitude for your generosity. Maybe you've lent a book to a friend and they've never returned it. Maybe you've invited some guests for dinner and they never returned with a thank you note or expression of thanks. Have we thanked the Reeds for going to their house? That's okay. Yeah, we did. Okay, okay, good. I just don't want to tempt you guys with being unthankful people. There's something in, in you that can burn against those who are unthankful. Like, like, like they're taking advantage of you. Or they're, they're ungrateful. And Jesus knew all those feelings. But, but for Him, think about it. It wasn't just a book. It wasn't just an invitation. It wasn't just a dinner. It wasn't just a gift. It was life itself. These men of leprosy were total outcasts of society. It's no accident that He said that verse 12, as he entered the village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him because the leprous men had to stay at a distance all their lives in their leper colony. And think, as Jesus healed these people, he gave them life. He brought them back into the community, giving them life. Now they can mix with people. Now they can have friends again. And I don't think any gift that you can give will be more than what Jesus gave to give these people life again. You know, what is a gift or a book or a dinner or even a whatever $5,000 you give somebody? That that doesn't match with a life coming back into you know and 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 they're unthankful. There was only one who was thankful. Jesus knows how to deal with unthankful people. He knows how it tries their patience. He knows how easy is it to speak ill of unthankful people. And here's the good news. He can help you in your dealings with unthankful people as well. He suffered and was tempted in those ways. So, Well, let, let's, let's press on. I'm going to skip a, more here, a couple more here. But we're going to go to Luke 22. The passion narrative, by the way, is just packed um, with ways in which Christ suffered and was tempted. Okay, Last three chapters of the book of Luke. 
So we'll we'll see what we can do in some of these. But I want I want to kind of dig and show you. Think about the Lord's Supper, chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And we had taken a cup and given thanks. He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of one betraying me is with mine at the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined of him. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them might it be who is, doing, who is going to do this thing. These words are familiar to us. We celebrate the Lord's Supper at Rock Valley Bible Church every four to six weeks. In fact, next Sunday, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper as well so you can prepare in your hearts for that. We know, we know about Him taking the bread and taking the cup. And maybe we don't realize this, how how desirous Jesus was. Verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus had a great desire to celebrate the Passover with His disciples because He was taking this whole thing about Moses and the Passover and then pointing it to Himself. It's a great opportunity for the Gospel also. He's going to say, this is my bread, (coughs) this is my body which is broken. I'm going to be broken. And this is my blood which is going to be spilt. I'm going to be killed. This is a new covenant in my blood. This is me. Look at me. Look at... I'm going to provide your salvation. We can understand how earnestly he desired to be there. But do you know what took place after he said, this is the new covenant in my blood? He told of his betrayer. Look at verse 21. Without stop, after saying this cup is... which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, he said, but behold, the hand of one betraying me is with mine on the table. Think about it here. Jesus was having a meal with His enemy. And He knew He was having a meal with His enemy. And yet still He desired, longed, to have that meal with them. Jesus knew the temptations of dealing with enemies. He was right there, close beside them, even eating with Judas. And think about this. He knew how to show His love to enemies. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, love your enemies. He knew how to love his enemies. So much so that after he said that he's going to be betrayed, the disciples, verse 23, began to discuss among themselves which one it was that might, who might be who was going to do this. And just think about the realities of that. Okay, I've been saying think about it, think about it today a lot. But you've got you to just get there that Jesus having dinner, and it's not like, he, he, he encountered Judas and went, oh, I can't, can't deal with him. He's my enemy. And, and loved all the other people. But He was equally loving to them all. So much so that when he said there's going to be a betrayer, they had no clue who it was. <laughs> Jesus knew who it was. And he loved enemies. You ever have a difficulty loving your enemy? Jesus knows that temptation and knows how hard that is. So whenever you have an enemy that you know you need to love, you say, Jesus, is really hard. Maybe, maybe you'll take him back to the Last Supper. I say, well, 
there was one of you among here who is going to betray me. Jesus knows that temptation. Another temptation comes in Gethsemane, verse 39. He came out, proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. His disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Lots of things going on here. First of all, Christ is dealing with his own life. In the next few hours, he's going to die. He knew full well what was in store for him. He knew that he was going to die upon the cross. He said at the Last Supper, I'm not going to eat it again until... The kingdom of God comes. He knew that he had his last meal already. He knew that his death was coming. And so intense was the struggle that raged in his heart and his mind that can I go through this? That he was praying very fervently, sweating drops of blood. And then to make matters worse, his disciples were clueless. He found them sleeping. Have you ever faced a trial that is just so big and so consuming that you're just praying for it all the time? You, you can't get it off your mind? It's just it's like, like this, you know, here, here's a circle of your mind. Your, your trial is taking you know, like 99% of your mind just all the time. You're so concerned about it. You're just... Jesus was there. Jesus knew what it was. There was all-consuming agony of his heart as he thinks about going to the cross. Can I do it? And think about the intensity of the prayer of Jesus. He was sweating drops of blood. I think it just speaks about the intensity of his prayer and the agony of his heart. So any other agony that we have, you know, maybe praying about it all day, maybe fasting for several days about some particular issue in our family. Know that Jesus, the agony he faced was far beyond that. He, he, knows, how, he knows how to deal with this because he passed that temptation. He was dealing with the temptations of just involved in praying and, and agonizing. He can be there. He can help. He can sympathize with you. He can give you the strength to carry you through. An angel ministered to him here. Maybe his help comes in the form of an angel to come and help you. But just look to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is huge and this is big and I know that you've experienced the same struggles and the same temptations that I have and please come, come to my aid. Or Jesus here is struggling with the will of God for his life. He knows the right thing to do but doesn't quite fully want to do the right thing. He says, yes, thy will be done, but he says, if there's any possible way, let it be done another way. Maybe you're struggling with the will of God for, for your life. Maybe there's some circumstances in your life making it difficult for you to follow the Lord. Maybe some temptation to cheat or lie or, or some temptation to avoid something you know that you really need to do or some temptation to walk the easy path rather than walking the right path, which is the hard path. You say, God, I know what your will is, but, but you're being pulled away. You see, go to Jesus. He knows what it is to struggle with the will of God in his life. He can help. I think also about how Christ felt alone. Have you ever felt alone? Like you're on an island? You're the only one? 
I'm the only one standing here. Everyone else has abandoned me. What am I going to do? Jesus felt very alone here. Here was the greatest trial in his life and his friends weren't there to support him. How he needed their encouragement. <clears throat> how they needed, he needed their prayers. How, how he needed their concern and their love for him. And yet, his friends were, rather than being a help, a hindrance. She said, are you still sleeping? Rather than being a, a help, they were actually a burden. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. So when you're alone, feeling difficult, just pray. Jesus, say, Jesus, help me. There's some temptations now of just being alone. I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm, you know, just, I, I need help and support. I'm not getting that. I'm susceptible to temptation. I'm susceptible to sin. Jesus, help me. He's been alone before. He can help you. Well, there's the betrayal. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus, knowing full well what's going on, verse 48, said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. He was betrayed by a friend with a kiss unto death. I mean, it's one thing to be betrayed by a mere acquaintance who maybe you don't know very well. This is not really established whether you're a friend or an enemy, but here, Judas, Judas was a friend. It's worse to be betrayed by a friend. And it's one thing to be betrayed by a, a letter, an email, or phone call that takes place in a dark room someplace, that communication between whatever, some people, and then they betray you, and then it comes. But it's another thing to be betrayed right to your face with a kiss, a sign of love. It's the worst sort of betrayal. And then Jesus was betrayed unto death. I mean, it's one thing to be betrayed out of some money or some, some trust or some confidential information, but be, to be betrayed out of your life, to die, makes the betrayal that Jesus faced far worse than any other betrayal that we will ever face in our lives. Jesus is able to help us in our time of betrayal. He can help you, especially your temptation to retaliate against those people who betrayed you. But Jesus didn't lash out in retaliation. Rather, as the story progresses, He almost encouraged His arrest. It says in verses 49 to 53, willingly submitting Himself to the unruly crowd. So I just say this. In the day of your betrayal, look to Christ. He can sympathize with you and He is able to help you. How about the crucifixion? Look at verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull... They were crucified with Him and the criminals. One was right and the other was left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Here He is hanging on the cross. Incredible pain and agony. The wrath of God coming upon Him. And what's Jesus thinking about? Forgiveness of those who have inflicted this terrible injustice upon Him. He didn't cry out injustice. He didn't demand his rights. Rather, he said, Father, forgive them. You ever have trouble forgiving people? What they have done against me, is, it's so bad. Well, have they put you on a cross lately? Jesus was able to wish and extend and pray that God would forgive these people who have hurt him so badly. And you might be in a situation where you're struggling to forgive somebody. Maybe your parents. Maybe it's some fellow worker. Maybe some 
relative or sister, whatever they did, whether they, they stole money from you, whether they abused you as a child, whatever it is, you might have this struggle. And I just say, if you're having that struggle of forgiveness, go to Jesus. He's able to come to your aid to help you in time of temptation. <laughs> Quickly, Christ knew how to keep his mouth shut. He was mocked in verses 35, 36, 37, 38. His sneering at him, mocking others. He saved others. Let him save himself. The soldiers were mocking him. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Mocking Jesus, as it says in 1 Peter, when reviled, didn't revile in return, while suffering uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus knows how to face wrath and scorn against himself and be quiet. He knows how to shut his mouth. Uh, are there times when you know you should shut your mouth, but you're being tempted to open your mouth and lash out at somebody? You have the times like that? When that time comes and, and you're tempted just to lash out at somebody, just go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you didn't revile in return. You, while suffering, you uttered no threats back. And he could have uttered some great threats, which were true and exactly right, but he didn't. So go to him. He's able to help you keep your mouth shut. He's able to help you. One last thing. Verse 44. Jesus knew the temptation surrounding dying. Verse 44. And it came about the sixth hour. Darkness fell the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus knew what it was like to die. And in death, there are temptations that come that you know not of, even where you are right now. Temptations to question. Temptations by the pains of death. You're going to cry out questioning God, crying in anguish to God. Christ died the most unjust death anyone could ever die. And He died well. In fact, so much so that the centurion who was watching verse 47 began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. There was nothing that Jesus did upon the cross that was sinful in any way, though the temptations came from all around him. Listen, he is able to come to your aid in time of need. So run to him. When your temptation comes, run to Jesus. He can help you in your temptation. And if today I've not hit your temptation, well, you can come and talk to me and we can see if we can find a place where Jesus was tempted. And if not, maybe we just say, well, I bet he experienced that temptation apart from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, things that just weren't written about him. Because the good news is this, the whole application from my one text this morning, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Say amen. Amen. Let's go to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be our help. I pray, O Lord, even as the the song we often sing says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. The great, unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with Himself, I cannot die. 
My soul is purchased with His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Oh Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of this perfect plea we have before the throne of God. Realize whatever temptations we face, Christ has faced it in some form or another. And Christ in His temptation never gave